guys, welcome back to the Shackles of Debt. On this channel, we talk about money, debt and financial literacy. If you like this video and if you find it helpful, please give it a thumbs up and share with your friends. Today's episode is a special podcast episode. About two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of speaking to the lovely, lovely Natasha Hill. And Natasha has an amazing story to tell. And I'm sure that a lot of you guys out there watching will be able to relate to what she went through. Now, Natasha has had two debt-free journeys. The first time around, she paid off £30,000 worth of debt. But just over a year later, she found herself in debt again. At the moment, she is almost finished paying back £17,000 worth of debt. And she has done all of this as a single mum to two children. And if that's not enough, she also became a homeowner in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a debt-free journey as a single parent and while supporting her daughter throughout university. So yeah, Natasha is pretty inspirational. She now has an Instagram where she talks about her debt-free journey as well as other aspects of financial literacy. And in our conversation, we spoke about how witnessing a family member's house being repossessed led to Natasha living in fear of the same thing happening to her and also what it was like for her to buy her own flat during a pandemic whilst paying back debt with two children. And we also speak about a lot of the financial challenges that single parents can face. And if any of the discussions that we have resonate with you, then you can leave us a comment. You can also send either me or Natasha a message, like we would love to hear from you. And links to Natasha's social medias will be down in the description box below. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I just want to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell me a bit about you, your background, where you grew up? Etc. Absolutely, yes. So I was born in the UK in Nottingham, um, but at quite a young age, age of six, uh, mom decided to move to the Netherlands, uh, to Amsterdam, a great city. So I literally, you know, we arrived there and I went straight to primary school and, uh, you know, learned Dutch very quickly, actually. I think children do learn languages faster than adults. So, mm-hmm. um, so I lived there for 16 years. So I went to primary school, secondary school, um, a bit of college. And in, well, 2001, just as the millennium kind of came about, I came back to the UK. Oh, wow. And yeah, and ever since I've uh, been here, I wasn't actually planning to stay. But yeah, you never know who you meet, end up having <laughs> kids. And then, you know, you're still here, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I mean, uh, ethnicity wise, my dad is from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was born here as well, uh, mixed race. So um, yeah, that that's uh, me. So I speak fluent Dutch, and you know, my my mom and sister they still live in the Netherlands. So yeah. Oh wow! No, that's good. So you you do you go back and forth often between England yeah, and Netherlands yes, now? Um, you know, because of COVID, of course. But um, in normal times, it's also it's usually been during the school holidays uh, that mm-hmm. we just hop in there because it's. Uh, the flight's only 45 minutes, you know, from London. So it's uh, easy to get to. Um, yeah, it's been a bit less, obviously, uh, over the pandemic. But yeah, yeah, definitely. They come here as well and I go there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And um, in terms of money, our childhoods often have a big, big impact on how we deal with money later on in adulthood. Um, so thinking specifically about your childhood, is there anything or any experiences that you went through in your childhood that later on influenced what your relationship with money ended up being? 
Yes, I mean, um, it's not actually until maybe in the last couple of years that I've myself thought about this, but I think um, if you grow up in a family where money's not discussed um, and you've also not really got kind of the role models of financial literacy um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, proper property ownership or you know anything to do with investing or anything like that I think um you only know what you know right so mm-hmm. me growing up I didn't see as if anything was missing because for me it was the norm mm-hmm. you know I just knew that you know I saw my parents and you know my family mm-hmm. just work very very hard you know multiple jobs even at, at times yeah. And it just seemed like there was never enough money. It doesn't, you know, even if there were free jobs being done, you know, it, it always seems like it was a struggle, you know. So I think over the kind of from my childhood, you know, for a very long time, I've seen it always as money scarce. Money is hard to come by. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. And yeah, um, yeah and I, I mean, in my kind of teens, I did um, witness uh, you know, one family member losing um, a property, uh, and that was the only family member that actually owned property. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that for a long time, you know, really put me off in getting involved in anything like that, if you know what I mean. So I definitely think it's got to do with, um, you know, if you've not kind of been brought up in an environment like that, and if your family also have friends or, you know, family friends mm-hmm. that are also not speaking about money. Then yeah. yeah, you didn't know, and I, you know. I mean, I can remember speaking to my mom at one point uh, when I was a little bit older, and I asked her, "So, what do you earn, mom?" And the look that she gave me, <laughs> I just, I just knew, do not ask that again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so, that's, um, that's very interesting. Sorry to cut you off. I was it's very interesting how people don't uh, talk about money, yet it's the thing that makes everything go around essentially and I just wanted to touch on you know witnessing a family member losing their property you know that's a very um obviously for them it's very traumatic but I can imagine you as a young person how that could have put you off getting onto the property ladder so like what was it what was it about witnessing them losing their house that sort of put you off um it was literally seeing um a for sale sign being hammered like literally you know nails and hammer uh-huh. kind of yeah. you know uh, being put up and I just thought whoa you know that's that's scary especially because mm-hmm. I was a bit younger at the time as well so my understanding was like oh you know I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to risk anything like that um mm-hmm. and I also saw how they were affected by it yeah um, kind of you know they took the leap you know kind of maybe one of the first ones in the family, they took the leap and, you know, it didn't work out. Mm. And I just think that that uh, that was really hard to see. And, you know, ever since I've never kind of been interested in buying property. So just thought, (laughs) I just always had that kind of vision, you know, of, you know, that for sale sign being, you know, hammered kind of, um, you know, nails and hammer just, I don't even know how to explain it, but you know, you just see someone putting it up, and it's mm. you know they're on the ladder and they just put it up like for sale, and also just um, because it was a um, you know on a road with you know it wasn't semi detached or anything. It was how do you call those houses again? Sorry, I'm a bit uh, <laughs> a terrace. Bit, yeah, terrace houses. Yeah, yeah. So 
remember as well as teens, we care more about what people think. So at one point I was also thinking, oh, I wonder what the neighbours think, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they obviously saw it happening too, you know. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that has for a very long time put me off of ever thinking even about buying property. It, it didn't even cross my mind. Which is actually interesting because you bought your first property <laughs> back yeah. in June last year. So what happened there? Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, um, How did you finally reach that point where you felt like, I mean, obviously going from, you know, the fear of ever going through that again and it mm-hmm. putting me off ever wanting to be a homeowner to actually becoming a homeowner last year. So what? tell me what happened. Yeah, no, um, it's really strange. So when the pandemic came about, uh, I've always worked in um, corporate world, you know, office nine to five uh, before uh, COVID. So obviously when COVID struck and I was working from home, um, there seemed to be a bit more peace and calm in my life. And for some reason, I started thinking, (laughs) You know, and I just um, started watching a lot of YouTube videos um, and, you know, I've always kind of had in the back of my mind, you know, I've been in this property quite some time, um, Mm -hmm. local authority, you know, council flats. And it was taken over by a housing association, but you still have preserved right to buy, you know, Mm -hmm. even the housing association. So at one point um, it it wasn't like overnight you know the pandemic hit and I thought I'm going to buy my house it was doing a lot of research and you know watching a lot of videos and I you know I typed in um you know buying council flat and lots of videos were suggested yeah. and um I, I actually I always had the feeling when you buy a property you need a deposit you need to put a deposit yeah. down yeah and knowing that you know I've kind of struggled with debt for a long time that I didn't have a deposit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I realized, yeah, I realized due to the length of time I've been in this property, yeah, um, that the discount that I got um meant that I actually didn't have to put down a deposit. <laughs> Which is amazing. So it was much more straightforward compared to like the traditional way that someone would yeah. go about buying a house. Yeah. Yes. And I just wanted to ask, um, what made you want to buy the property you were living in versus um, looking for a different property? Because you mentioned you were living in a council flat. Um, mm-hmm. So that's uh, well, for anyone who doesn't live in England. It's uh, well, yeah, local authority housing or um, housing yeah, that's owned by the government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've been and in England, there is uh, this thing where you can buy your council property. So I want to know what made you buy the property that you were in versus choosing to maybe go and get something else? Yes, it was uh, definitely the deposit um, because, you know, I didn't have a deposit to go and buy anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also, I also started to think more kind of long term that, you know, at some point this property, you know, in the heart of London could become an asset. Because, yes. You know, it doesn't mean I'm going to live here forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's free bedroom, you know, in the middle of uh, London, you know, so I just thought to myself as well, you know, the fear that I had first about what I'd seen before about a family member losing a property. I thought to myself, since I've been living here, I've never missed a rent payment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just thought to myself, well, 
if I've never missed a rent payment, you know, I'm resourceful enough not to miss a mortgage payment as well. Yeah. And knowing that um, when I look at my parents, for example, you know, then they're not property owners. And I've got two children myself. Uh, they're young adults now. And I just thought, you know what? Let me just take the leap. Uh, at least there'll be an asset left for them if anything happens to me. Not yeah. Knock on wood, knock on wood. No, absolutely. And, and that that is such so good. And for your children, that's obviously going to make a big impact, you know, home ownership. The equity in the house is it's in the flipping middle of London, you know, that is prime real estate. And it's, you know, when you look at London house prices, it's very, very difficult to buy in London unless you've got money. And for you yes. to essentially buy property in London without a deposit. Um, so I'm interested to know, um, because you've been paying rent for so long, a deposit wasn't necessary. Do you know how much money in rent you had paid up until that point? I have. I didn't actually work it out. Um, but I mean, I've been living here since 2004. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the last few years, rent was in the region of £700 a month. So mm. like if I back uh, you know, I haven't got my calculator with me at the moment, but it's quite a lot of money. Yeah, um, so 15 years times 700. Oh, my God. Let me, let me just do that calculation. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, normally I use my phone for the calculation, but obviously I'm using my You're phone. You're using my okay. All right, let me, let me just, I don't know, you know, but for those maths geeks out there that are looking um, and say this is not the correct calculation, who cares? So 15 years. Oh, no, actually, what is it? 700 times hmm. 12 which mm. is 8,400. And then we do yeah. 8,400 times 15, 126,000. Oh my God. Roughly. And then bring this because that could have been done towards the mortgage. <laughs> That's a but, brand new house. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think about it, you know, I, there's there's been occasions where I've, Bought back and maybe regretted oh I should have bought it sooner but yeah. I still believe really much everything happens for a reason everything yeah. happens for a, at the right time it's because I've grown more in my financial literacy that's why I've you know I believe I can handle it now mm-hmm. if I bought it before you never know maybe the same thing as the family member could have happened exactly no absolutely no I know exactly what you mean and um you know, the best time to buy it was yesterday, but you bought it now and that's all that matters. And like you said, you haven't missed a rent payment, a hundred thousand pounds plus approximately. So, you know, you can absolutely do it. Um, and I saw also on your Instagram that you're looking to pay off your mortgage early. Um, I'm not a homeowner, so I'm not really knowledgeable in terms of like, you know, mortgages and equity and all that stuff. Um, but can you tell me about some of the reasons why you want to pay off your mortgage early? Well, I believe that, uh, you know, I'm in my uh, 40s, uh, 43 to be exact. And um, you it, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've kind of lost a lot of time. I mean, we've just done that rough calculation. uh, And I feel like even if I don't pay it off in full, like early, I feel like I need to play catch up a bit because of all the years that I could have been paying the mortgage. You know, I haven't 
obviously got as much time as if I if I'd bought it when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. you know I've kind of two decades of paying towards the mortgage if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um don't get me wrong I haven't started making overpayments yet because I'm very much a person that needs to do one thing at a time so for me the main thing is like get rid of the debt first because it could be you know at some point especially with the kids big now that I think to myself instead of paying off the mortgage early maybe I can downsize you know when you know I mean my daughter's already left home at some point my son will I don't mm. need a free bedroom it could be that I partially rent it out as in the two other rooms um or I could go and downsize and maybe let it pay for itself if you know what I mean yeah you know, so so it's not I haven't made um a kind of uh how can I say, a concrete decision yet as to paying it off early or not. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at what once I've paid my like last bit of consumer debt off, you know, I'll kind of look more into it and, you know, yeah. just kind of, decide, okay, do I want to you know pay it off early or do I want it to pay for itself? Mm-hmm. Um, how I'm going to do that. But essentially, I just feel a bit like I need to play catch up because I've you know, I could have already paid hundreds of grand off, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But like you said, everything happens for a reason. And actually where we were talking about a lack of role models, as in homeowners in our own sort of childhoods, it's really good that your story is going to reach another person out there and you're going to be that role model for them and that inspiration for them to say, you know, Tasha can do this by herself with two kids then I can do it as well. So no, that that's really good. And um, you mentioned there about debt and that's what I want to sort of uh, lead on to now. You have had two debt-free journeys. Um, from what I understand, one started sort of around 2010 and ended in 2015 and another started in like 2017 and is still ongoing now. You're almost debt-free. Um, so can you tell me about the first debt-free journey that you went to? That you, know, that you went through <laughs> that you went through sort of um how much debt was that in total and how did you manage to pay it off yes so um it was 30 grand plus at the time I wasn't um you know I feel that now my financial literacy has improved much more so I didn't at the time know the exact figure I just knew yeah. it was 20-ish thousand something um, and it was all unsecured debt, as in, you know, I didn't have like, a yeah, so like loans and credit cards and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how the debt actually started, it, it actually, I should say the debt just never stopped. That's how it got to that point. So okay. uh, as, soon as, as soon as I was 18 and I could sign the, a dotted line, uh, you know, legally, um, I ended up taking out my first loan. Um, it was me and one of my school friends, we ended up, uh, yeah, she told me about this place where we can borrow money now that we're 18. <laughs> As <laughs> that, was in, that was in the Netherlands at the time. And um, funnily enough, I do, just don't even remember what I borrowed the money for. I keep on meaning to say I need to call that friend because I still have contact with her, by the way. Uh, to see if she still remembers what we borrowed it for. It would have been something stupid as maybe you know, clothes, holidays, so, you know, something stupid. Mm. Um, and, you know, from the age of 18, it's actually just been ongoing. I've never, I've never actually paid my debt off. So in 2009, you know, I kind of 
Now, I just realized over the years that the debt was making me feel quite down. Yeah. You know, sometimes I would feel quite down and I wouldn't know why. And I figured out, you know, so many years later that it's actually my financial situation that's making me feel such a burden, such a, like I'm carrying around, you know, a rucksack of, and it's just so heavy. It's like a heavy Um, stone. It's just such a weight on your shoulders. Yeah. It's like an invisible thing. Yeah. 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 So that massive debt, um, Luckily, I ended up speaking to a cousin about it. Um, I mean, I've, I've not really been a person that speaks about money or because I would just feel mm. the same. But this particular cousin I'm really close with. And, you know, she says, oh, Tash, you seem a bit, you know, off. You know, what's wrong? And I just yeah. said, oh, I mean, all this debt and, you know, I'll never be able to pay it back. And, you know, I was feeling quite negative about it. And she um introduced me to a company that did something called an IVA, which stands for Individual Voluntary Arrangement. Um, So it wasn't as if I was getting red letters, you know, creditors chasing Mm -hmm. me or anything, but I felt like I needed a drastic shock to the system. I needed to to be accountable. I needed to answer to someone because obviously I wasn't answering to myself. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, looked into it I did see that it's quite serious um but I just thought you know let all the credit be taken away from me for five years and yeah finally just get rid of that debt so you know I entered into that IVA yeah um and that's how I ended up within five years clearing that debt yeah um I must say that there were some things I hadn't read properly within the uh, terms and conditions. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how an IVA actually works and some of these terms yeah. and conditions that you didn't uh, read through properly? Yeah. So um, if you enter an IVA uh, for five years, you know, you cannot, you know, obtain any credit whatsoever. Yeah. Um, what actually helps with very much is, um, you know, the IVA company, they actually contact your creditors for you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the payment arrangements are made. So if you're really stressed out, you're getting calls, you're getting red letters, you're getting, you know, maybe letters for bailiffs, which, as I said, I didn't have, but it could have got to that if I, you know, if I kind of left it. Um, yeah. So they kind of do that uh, work for you, but you do have to do something as well. Um, you've got to provide your income and expenses. You've got to provide your pay slips. Uh, it came to a point where, um, you know, I had to send bank statements. Uh, and if there was anything that wasn't kind of, you know, um, agreed or anything with the kids had come up, you know, I, it's like I had to, I felt like I had to answer to someone. And even though yeah. in a way that was good, you know, the IVA, it didn't actually teach me still how to manage my money or how to change my mindset. It was more, oh, I've got to provide this, I've got to provide that. So they don't actually coach you. Maybe some companies do now, I don't know, but the one I used at the time, it was just, you've got to provide this and you know, you've yeah. got to pay this and then you'll be fine. So it was kind of like, okay, yeah, I've, I've just got to transfer that money and you know, they'll yeah. leave me alone kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, it's for five years, you're some people call it blacklisted. There's no such thing really as being blacklisted. Yeah. It just means no access to credit and it stays on your credit file, not five years, but an extra year is added on. So for six years, you have yeah. no access to consumer 
you know, credit, well, mortgages either or anything. Mm. Um, I do think it was um, good for me. But as I said, I feel like I didn't learn anything. Yeah. You know, there, was, there was no coaching involved. You know, so my mind, my money mindset hadn't changed. It was just the fact that, well, I've just got to struggle for five years and I've just got to answer to them. And once yes. the five minutes is up, my debt is gone. <laughs> you know. And um, can I just ask, how much money were you paying towards that IVA? Well, the problem is for me, it wasn't um, the same every month. So okay. uh, I, I forgot to, know, to mention when you're in an IVA, yeah, I feel personally it works best when you are on a set uh, salary. Yeah. Okay. So my, the way my salary works is I do have a base salary, but it's also very much target driven, as in you can earn commissions on top as well. And that was the part of the terms and conditions that Natasha hadn't read properly. <laughs> so I ended up actually paying more because obviously what I told them that I'm going to earn. I didn't know from month to month if I was going to hit targets um, and yeah. earn more, you know. So um, I would say if you're in a job that you know, your salary can differ because of, you know, bonuses um, or sometimes no bonuses, then I would say, you know, think carefully about going into an IVA because mm-hmm. I thought that would be punished whenever I earned a bit more, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, I mean, I would say, um, I think it was between three to 500 pounds. But as I said, it, it differed a bit, you know, because I just, mm-hmm. on a monthly basis, had to provide, you know, what yeah. I got. I had to show the clips and then they would work out and tell me, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying as well, when I was paying through the IVA, because my m- money mindset hadn't changed and the financial literacy wasn't there, I didn't necessarily even check exactly how much I was paying back. It was just like, they've told it was me to pay this. Going, yeah. yeah. It was just like, the have is paid this, I've sent it, and that's it. That's you know it. what I mean? Oh, my yeah. God. And I just wanted to ask, knowing what you know now, if you could go back, um, obviously you would choose a different method to pay off debt, but what method would that be? I think it would be the method I'm using now. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not, answering to anyone than to myself yeah as in you know making changes obviously I mean I've been in debt you know from the age of 18 really I've kind of cleared it once through the IVA and then you know not long after I got back into debt again so I think you know when we go into what I've done to get to the level I am now you know it's just because I actually personally had to make changes to the way I handled my finances and that is what has me through to where I am now and before in the IVA it was more like you know answering to a teacher or to Mm. a mentor you know a master or something like that you know but you know the second time round I've only had to answer to myself and I've had to be disciplined and focused you know because there was no one that was going to do it for me only I could yeah so can you tell me about your second uh debt-free journey so not long Mm -hmm. after you paid off the IVA you were debt-free well in 2017 uh you find yourself in debt again so how much Mm -hmm. money uh were you in debt and what do you think uh and I think you've already touched on this but what are some of the things that you feel like contributed to you getting into debt again after clearing off 30 grand 
Yeah, I think it was, um, I mean, it was just over a year that I did remain um, debt free. It mm. felt good. Uh, it felt very good. But remember, the IVA was for five years. And then mm. they add on an extra year, as in your credit's still bad for another year. So, you know, it was quite easy for me to stay debt free because I couldn't I couldn't get any credit. And you know, the crazy thing is, just on a little side note, when you're already in that position, like the last thing you should be thinking of is getting credit. But it's crazy how that's the first thing we think of. Like, oh my God, how's this going to affect my credit? I'm like, no, you should not even be thinking about getting credit because you can't afford what you have now. Yeah, Yeah, and that's why I said as well, my mindset, my money mindset hadn't changed. It was just, okay, I've done what I need to do. I've answered to these you know, police, whatever. And now, you know, I'm debt free. So yeah, what had happened actually, um, I felt like after that struggling for those um, five years and it was a struggle, trust me. Um, I just think that, yeah, we, I took the kids on holiday to Canada. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, I went to see family and it felt great, you know, not to take out a credit card to pay for that holiday. And when we were there, you know, they wanted certain things that you can't get in the UK. And it was just so nice to be able to pay with my disposable income and not, Mm -hmm. you know, debt. Um, But yeah, before I knew it, you know, I came back. I was not budgeting. You know, I didn't have any financial goals or anything. You know, so my old habits had kicked in. And, you know, I found myself, you know, wound back up in debt again. I mean, it was gradually. Because yeah. uh, I was being a little bit more careful than you know my younger self. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, come um May 2020, um, yeah, it was 17,256.34. It's like I can't oh. forget that amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're very yeah, you're very specific. So how did you feel about having to start your debt-free journey all over again because sort of listening to you speak about how you obviously became debt-free and then uh, how to start again reminds me of like weight loss like I know like I lost a ton of weight like about five years ago and then once I reached my goal weight I piled everything back (laughs) within like six months and then just the idea of like starting again I was like nah this is long so how did it feel for you having to completely start again I think um for me it was COVID has obviously been a difficult time for a lot of people you know people have lost loved ones people have lost jobs you know it's still fairly challenging at the moment but when kind of the very first lockdown came about and you couldn't actually go anywhere anyway Mm -hmm. I think it um because I was kind of in a way forced to not spend on commuting so no tube fares mm-hmm. as in underground um, fares um, for people in America maybe subway uh, you know fares so I was I started to kind of see oh you know I don't need a travel car to get to work and I started seeing oh I'm not going out for meals I'm not going to birthdays I'm not going for drinks after work and I started yeah. you know I started kind of so even though it wasn't that I started straight away as the pandemic hit, but I think the peace and quiet that it brought about, even though it was obviously a horrible situation, why? It was I automatically was saving more because there was nothing to do. Mm. And I was working, you know? So I think 
Um, if it wasn't for the pandemic, sometimes I wonder if I would have actually started the second uh, debt-free journey. I do think I would at some point because obviously I started the first one as well. So I, I do think at some point I would think, Tash, you know, you need to do yeah. something about the finances. But I just feel like, you know, the pandemic um, was for me personally the perfect time to do it. Wow. And, you know, a lot of uh, people made a lot of changes during the pandemic. And, um, you know, that's really interesting to hear that you started your debt free journey because of that. Um, So as of right now, um, how much debt do you have left to pay? Yeah. So out of the figure I just said, I've got one thousand pounds left. Yes. Are we going to be debt free in 2021? Start 2022 off on a clean slate? Well, the funny thing is, I have I've really been sticking to my plan. It's not been easy. It's been blood, sweat, and tears, to be honest. Um, but my boiler broke. And oh, no. <laughs> so kind of like I feel like I've been running a marathon and I'm like I can see the finish line in sight. And um yeah, that that I'm not going to do it by this month, unfortunately. That was you know, the plan, mm-hmm. because I really wanted to start 2022 with no consumer debt at all. Um, it just goes to show how important having an emergency fund is. Yes. Tell me about that. So um, your boiler broke. I'm Obviously, you didn't use any credit to pay that off. What? Um, yeah. So I'm assuming that was it before you start the debt free journey or was it during that you were saving your emergency fund? Well, what it is, I've had um, actually a few emergency funds, Okay. Um, but, you know, with my daughter going to university and everything, um, I have actually used those emergency funds to help my daughter, you know, mm. um, accommodation costs and things, because, you know, a deposit has to be paid up front. And I didn't realise that it's not like she can pay monthly, it has to be quarterly. Yeah, um, yeah, uni costs, um, yeah. Yeah. And because she's moved away to another city, um, she left her job in London and obviously had to find a job in the other city. So Mm -hmm. until then, you know, obviously I'm her mother. I'm going to help her out, you know. So the emergency fund I had saved, you know, they went towards um, that. So I didn't, you know, if if I had emergency funds, then the boiler wouldn't be such a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I have actually felt a little bit down about it because for me, you know, I'm a person of, I'm a very kind of principle based person. I've mm-hmm. said that at the end of December, I would do that grand and the debt is gone. And it does look like it's going to spill over into January, February uh, now, yeah. just uh, just because of, uh, yeah, the, the unexpected costs. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that's another thing, you know, being a single parent sometimes you know it because you can only depend on yourself these things mm-hmm. will happen you know? they will, yeah and you know, don't, don't and be so hard on yourself about it because you are going to become debt free um and at the end of the day you your boiler broke and you had an emergency fund like can i just ask like how many months worth uh did you have saved up um obviously it was enough to pay for a boiler and i know Boilers are like ridiculously expensive to fix, especially when they're broken. Like how many months worth of emergency fund did you have? And like how long had it taken you to build up that money? Yeah, I mean, initially it was just thousand um, pounds and then I added to it. So it was about, you know, two and a half thousand. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely not, you know, three or six months or anything. Um, I kind of started watching Dave Ramsey. Um, yeah. You know, during the pandemic, and you know, he says always to, to get to that first thousand, and yeah. you know, I'd, I'd add a little bit more to it. But you know, as I said, I did end up um, using that, and at the end of the day, you know, I think it's for a good cause. You know, um, I just wanted to go to university, and you know, I'm not going to let her struggle. No. Um, you know, very hardworking. So yeah. Um, I've got a job now, so things you know, are getting a little bit easier, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but my, you know, when I kind of, um, the, you know, kind of come next year, I'm uh, building back that emergency fund up. Yeah, no, no, that that's brilliant. Um, and it's sort of, it's very similar to what I did where I think this time last year, I had around probably, I want to say probably just over a grand left, but I was mm. so keen to start off 2021 debt-free that I ended up using my emergency fund to pay off the rest of the debt just so that on the 31st I'm um yeah yeah you sound like me because I'm I'm still kind of thinking sometimes like look um I know it's Christmas and everything but just don't do Christmas presents just don't do this and just get that grand out of the way because I'm so kind of set on like yeah personal principle you know um but as you said you know I'm generally someone that's quite hard on myself anyway and I think that you know from May 2020 being you know 17 grand in debt and you know now 1,000 pounds I think sometimes you've got to just look at it as well and just say okay cash you know a couple more months you know it's it might not, not going to make a difference yeah and if you and god forbid like another emergency happens and you've already used your emergency fund you know that's not necessarily wise so i think you know for this kind of just tells us that sometimes we have to make the more objective decision not the more like emotional one which is like i want to be debt free now <laughs> um and sort of something you touched on uh, about being a single parent with two children and obviously you've had your kids all the way throughout your debt-free journeys and your financial journey. So what are some of the challenges that you faced as a single parent um, in terms of money? Yeah, um, I think uh, it's things like uh, they go to school and their friends have certain things and they want those things as well. Yeah. And you don't want them to lose out, you know, just because you're a single parent, because you feel like, you know, it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the family unit hasn't worked out how, you know, you intended it to. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, so sometimes, you know, debt would have been accumulated by things mm-hmm. like that as well, you know, because, you know, kids can be quite cruel as well. Um, so, you know, if you kind of, I don't want to really say fit in because I do feel like my children are, you know, they're quite more followers than, uh, sorry, leaders than followers, I meant to yeah. say. But, but yeah, you st- they still have, when they're at that age, something like, oh, you know, they've got those trainers. I would like those too. You know, they've got that tracksuit or yeah. you know, they say, oh, my friend, my friend had a limousine for her birthday. Oh, I want that, you know, and things like that. So yeah, it's, I think, um, and, and I think as well, what's been hard is that you can only depend on yourself. You know, there's you know, not another, like a partner or, you know, another mm-hmm. person that you can kind of discuss finances with. So the decisions are yours. And sometimes the financial decisions are very emotionally driven because, mm-hmm. you know, 
feel maybe guilty towards your children, you know, that yeah, you haven't provided um, for them what they actually need. So sometimes you kind of buy because you might buy things because you just feel like that will make things better. But obviously materialistic things in the end don't. But yeah, that's how you can feel sometimes. Yeah, and, and I, I can't, obviously I don't have kids, but I can imagine, you know, sometimes when I wanted things, you know, how my parents must have felt, um, you know, if I came home and said, oh, so-and-so has got this, so-and-so has got that, you know, I can imagine, you know, that guilt that you have for wanting mm-hmm. to provide for your kids. But you know what, you did the best you can, you know, you've gotten them a home now, um, which they completely theirs um so you know all of the sacrifices that you've made so far have definitely been worth it and you know you're looking after your daughter at university and it's you know you you know you're doing your best and um but I can imagine some of the challenges that single parents do face you know it can be completely um very difficult so what are what is some advice that you can give to someone who is a single parent about um how they can sort of strike a balance between wanting to do things for their children, but then also making sure that they look after themselves financially. Yes, no, definitely. I think it all, first of all, starts, um, you know, with self-care as well. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think having open conversations with your children as well. Uh, You know, the example I gave earlier, you know, when I asked Tom, you know, what what are you earning and the look that I got? Um, I think having open conversations with children, children are very intelligent and they understand more than we think. And I think sometimes if you're struggling maybe for now, you know, to maybe get something for them or, you know, um, yeah, something that involves money. Yeah. You know, I think if, I think if you're open with your children more. Um, they'll 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 actually understand, you know. Mm. You can actually that can create them having maybe a bit more patience and a bit more understanding. But you know, if you just kind of you know shut that whole financial conversation off, kids can be left to feel sometimes like, oh, oh, my mum doesn't want to buy this for me. Oh, maybe she doesn't love me. Oh, what have I done wrong? Oh, you know, <laughs> and things yeah. like that. So I definitely I definitely think having open conversations with your children. Um, I didn't initially have that because. I wasn't taught to, but, um, you know, on this second debt-free journey, I've been, you know, um, open with them about things. Initially, I wasn't. Initially, I actually lied to them about the figure. Yeah. (laughs) But then I thought to myself, no, just tell them exactly what's going on. And I just feel like um, it's actually inspired them as well, you know. So, yeah, my advice would definitely be be open, um, you know about finances and about what's going on um caring for yourself um you know if your children look your children will be looking up to you and if they see you're caring for yourself um you know you'll be in better health in a better mood you know it's it's all about those things as well yeah you know, no so. no that, that's good um and that's some really good advice and I just wanted to ask you know lastly you're going to be debt free very very soon um, you know, at the start of 22, once you are debt-free, obviously being debt-free is one of your goals. What are some of your financial goals that you have for once you do become debt-free? Yes. So definitely uh, have six months worth of expenses uh, saved uh, in an emergency fund. Um, you know, jobs are not jobs for life anymore. 
And even though so far so good, I didn't lose my job during the pandemic. I didn't get salary cuts either. But I think it's just always good to have that there. I mean, what happened with the boiler was a prime example. Yeah. You, know, you just yeah. So um, I want to start with six months expenses, and um, you know, hopefully uh, that becomes twelve months. But I like to chop things down in small pieces. So six months first, I think mm-hmm. that's manageable for me now. Um, and um, yeah, the, kind of the biggest goal really financially is to finally start investing. It is yeah. a very scary thing for people. And I know when I started investing, I literally started with ten pounds. Um, mm-hmm. That was I was like ten pounds, twenty pounds. You know, just just start. You know, just start. Mm-hmm. That's such a good goal that you have, and I'm so happy that you want to start investing. <laughs> I love yeah. I love seeing women invest because you know you, you hardly ever hear it from women. I always hear from like my guy friends. We're like, oh, I invest in crypto. Or I invest in this, but I hardly ever hear my girlfriend say that. So I absolutely yeah. love that you um, you know you want to start investing as well. Uh, do you have yeah. any other goals? Um, yeah, so to figure out uh, property-wise, am I going to start overpaying or not? Because you can pay up to 10%, um, overpay up to 10% um, a year on your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay more, you can actually be penalised for it. So it's very important <laughs> <laughs> to read the terms and conditions, which sometimes can be a pain. Um, you know, so it's kind of going to be, am I going to start overpaying or depending on what my son decides to do after uh, college. Um, if he's moving out, maybe, you know, get the property to pay for itself, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I think the biggest thing is as well is sticking to budgeting because that's something that I didn't do in the past. And when I, you know, finished paying the IVA and I quickly got back in debt again, it was obviously because I didn't tell my money what where to go. So yeah. it, it kind of moved its own life. So it's important for me, uh, financial goal wise, to continue budgeting in the way that I have, because mm-hmm. um, that's the only way you, you need to know where your money's going. Otherwise, it will literally just go. Your your budget is the foundation of everything you do. Um, and I completely, completely agree with that. And, um, you know, I can completely relate to that because I know when I first moved to New Zealand, because everything was just a hot mess where I didn't actually have any budget whatsoever. Mm. So I kind of just burned through all of my savings. And at the end of it, I was like, oh my God, I did waste a lot of money. But thank God I'm now back on track. Uh, But no, uh, for anyone listening, you know, your budget is the foundation of everything that you do. Um, And without that, you will find yourself in some places thinking, you know, where where did my money go? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, I I felt like that for a long time. And, um, you know, there's, it's not just about the action of budgeting. It literally, for me, it's made me feel more calm within myself as well. So it has also a positive effect on your, you know, mental well-being. You know, you feel more calm and in control. You know what's coming in, you know what's going out, you know mm-hmm. where you might need to cut back. Um, and if, if you know, if you don't want to come back, you know uh, how maybe you can earn a bit extra on the side, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, so that's definitely something um, I'll continue doing, the budgeting, uh, side hustle as well. Um, mm-hmm. I do side hustles on and off because um, my job is quite uh, intense anyway. So, um you know, there's times where I side hustle, then I take sometimes little breaks and then, you know, I kind of go again. Um, 
and you know that brings an extra income yeah no no that's really good I'm so glad that those are your goals and you know I'm sure if we, if we catch up in a year uh they'll be completely different I'm sure you'll have your emergency fund you would have started uh paying off overpaying your mortgage and um you know that's what I think is really good um about having goals especially now as we come towards the new year um anyway Natasha thank you so so much for for being here thank you so much for telling your story I know that there are people who are going to be like hearing this and listening to this and it's going to have an impact on them and you're going to be a role model for people in some sort of way so thank you so much for just yeah for just coming here and just being your fabulous self